Hey guys, welcome to the first turn of Yu-Gi-Oh! podcast where three grown men to talk about our favorite children's card game. My name is Nikolai, and with me today are Jordan. Hey. And Cody. Yo. So for today's topic, uh, we're going to be basically talking about the Yu-Gi-Oh! stonks and how to invest and make money through everyone's favorite card game. The... First thing I think we should start with is kind of identifying your goals with like making your money and like how you want to build up your collection. In my opinion, there's kind of like two ways to look at it. There's the first one, which is kind of making a profit, building up your collection and just trying to make money off of the game. And on the other hand, there's also kind of maintaining a certain level of like trading card equity where you're able to fund basically any decks you play any cards you want through selling cards so you're never really making any money but you're never really spending any money on the game would you guys agree with that yeah pretty much i didn't actually even think about it that way until you kind of uh want to categorize it like acknowledging that you're just kind of funding your expensive ass hobby with the profits made from said expensive ass hobby so yeah Mm -hmm. i know with me is like i don't generally spend as i don't i try not to spend too much on the game like i try to give myself a certain amount of like physical uh cash where i don't go over like between like fifty to a hundred dollars in a month, and mm-hmm. basically, if I'm trying to go after cards like lightning storms, forbidden droplets, I basically have to dip into my card pool, trade cards in to get those cards. But for the most part, I try again. I try not to spend too much actual money on the game. But then I know people who are out there, uh, basically trying to make a full profit off of the game. Yep. And then you got somebody like me who like is trying really hard to catch up to all these people by fronting a whole lot now and hopefully not having to in the near future. It's so hard trying to get into stuff right now, especially if you're trying to make actual profit because you're kind of jumping in too late. Everyone who is making a decent amount of profit just off of nothing are people who mm-hmm. were just uh, casual collectors slowly accumulating something and then the wanna be you know investors off of YouTube fucking Logan Paul ruined it for everyone mm-hmm. and that's where we're at now yeah cause you got all those graded cards that are now going for upwards of what like the gem mint tens are like sixty grand or something like that for like Stardust. Yeah, that's actually a good like segue into another thing. People need to start acknowledging what actual value is. Like I'm so yeah. sick of somebody like I'll have random family, like distant cousin. They know that I know, you know, hobby stuff. So they'll be like, Hey, do you think my Pokemon card's worth this forty thousand dollar thing they saw on YouTube? Like, no. Your shit's not actually worth that much. I'm sick of everyone thinking that they have a fucking gold mine in their fucking closet. <laughs> it's not how it works. No. If you had something, you either 
don't know you have it and it's somewhere in your parents' fucking closet, or <laughs> you have been collecting, you've been keeping tabs on this shit forever. So, no. Yeah. So I think that, like, speaking of those, like, ex- very expensive cars that, like, we all have hiding somewhere, um, that kind of leads into uh, the kind of next part I wanted to identify um, before, like, actually talking about how to really maximize the profits you make in this game um, with kind of breaking down three I guess, types of cards that you can make profit off of. Um, so in my eyes, there's three categories of cards. You have your collector cards. So that's going to be things like your Legend of Blue Eyes First Ed cards, um, your like waifu cards, you have your stuff like lost art, um, alternate art stuff, those things that like they might not ever be meta or used in competitive Yu-Gi-Oh, but they're basically collector's item because they have that like nostalgia with the game or they're something hard to get. The second type of card would be uh, those kind of like meta relevant cards. So like I spoke of before, things like Lightning Storm, um, Forbidden Droplets, that kind of stuff where the card itself is relevant to competitive Yu-Gi-Oh! So that's what drives its worth. Again, mm-hmm. like Forbidden Droplet being like a what, $150 card right now. 180 180 like Canadian. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's fully dependent on its use in the meta and it being reprinted. And then the third card, or type of card, would be those like high ceiling kind of cards where they're not being played right now, but they have potential to be used in the future or potential to become a collector's item at some point. Uh, things like Vanity's Ruler back in the day during a Dragon, I guess, around Dragon Ruler format, where this card was worth literally like a dollar before as a common and then shot up immediately to like $20. I feel with the these three types of cards, um, you're going to be doing different types of investments, different types of like buying with the three because they have very different kind of volatility in the market. You have collector's cards that are generally going to be your higher end kind of things that you buy and for the most part they're very reliable on their prices like they're generally not going to be going down they're only ever going to be going up Mm -hmm. Uh, your meta relevant cards I know these are probably the most volatile of the bunch yeah, like right now, yours like like right now we mentioned Forbidden Droplets is hitting that one eighty mark. Yeah. It's because it only has the one printing, and as soon as that card gets reprinted, it's gonna have the same effect as Outlook to the Goldmore. At its prime was at one fifty, and then as soon as it got reprinted, it plumbed it to half price. And now it's stabilized a little more to closer to the eighty to hundred range still, but even then it's nowhere near what it was. And that same thing is gonna happen to droplets eventually, so Yeah, like with these motor relevant cards, it's these are more of like a supply and demand kind of issue. They're the cards that are gonna be most in demand like 
these many relevant cards with the one printing are going to be most in demand. So they're going to get their prices driven up. And then as soon as Konami reprints them, their price starts going down, obviously, because now we have more supply that you can try to profit off of. And honestly, the one you probably have to monitor the most when trying to buy and sell them. Uh-huh. And with the, um, I guess, high ceiling cards, these are the ones that can say are most worth investing in if you're trying to be more competitive with the game. You have cards, again, like Vanity's Ruler, or Vanity's Emptiness, where if you had just a bunch of these because you thought it was going to be good eventually, like the amount of profit you ended up making off of them, selling them once they became like $20 a piece is just crazy. So these are kind of cards that you're probably going to be buying for dirt cheap and then sitting on for potentially, but there's very high potential for profit with stuff like this. Like a good example of something recent for that is Ice Dragon's Prison. When it came out, it was what, five bucks? Well, that's just then... people not appreciating. That's like people who have just a narrow view of how Yu-Gi-Oh works and don't understand. Like, if you're one of these people who complains that the game is too expensive, and you're constantly looking how every meta deck is $50 for every single card in the deck, it's because you don't know what's good in the game. So, like, you gotta start spending more time looking at why cards are good as opposed to, you know, what is performing well. Because, like, Ice Dragon's Prison, like, I told everybody, that card's amazing. Like, it's fucking really good. Okay, Vanny's Emptiness. You know why I told everyone to buy or pick those up when they were $2 commons? It was a short print card, not that that mattered, in a set that only had one printing back when sets had multiple printings. It was because that card stopped Monster Reborn for no cost, and that was amazing. So I kept telling everyone, this card stops Monster Reborn, and your opponent has to out it. And I played in <laughs> shitty decks and didn't have a lot of success with it. But look what happens, you know, two years later, it was a $40 common or whatever it was at its highest. Like, it's yep. just annoying when I hear people complain that the meta is expensive and then they're looking at Ice Dragon's Prison. It's like, no, you just don't understand what's good. That's your fault. <laughs> yeah. But even though that's the thing, though, is there's, there's cards that exist like that, right, where people don't understand the potential they do have they start off at this really low rate because of it mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden people are like oh this card's super good and then the demand for the card goes up so high so so as the price of the card goes up with it right mm-hmm. so now we're looking at 60 dollar ice dragons prison so mm-hmm. yeah i know with like those kind of cards it's a lot of the time it's you have to be able to basically I guess predict what's going to happen with it. And like, you have to realize the power levels of certain cards. And I think that's an issue that a lot of players kind of have where sure this card has like a drawback to it, but like the power level of the card can be insane. Um, kind of like with vanity's emptiness where it's like, you're locking yourself out of special summoning too. And like this card can be kind of outed or it seemed like it could be outed pretty easily. But, like look at how strong it ended up being. Or even like Max C. Mm-hmm. 
I remember that card being like super cheap when it came out and then people started playing it. And if you didn't have a set, you were kind of shit out of luck because it got so expensive so quickly. Yeah. There are a lot of hand traps that end up falling under that category nowadays though. Oh yeah. Every well, like, hand trap falls into that yeah. category. That's like the number one thing if you want to fucking invest into my Patreon and take the Cody Economics Yu-Gi-Oh! course 101. Like, there's hand certain traps. thresholds that you gotta hit. If you're not good enough to acknowledge, or not good enough to appreciate nuanced cards and cards that are not very obviously good but will be in the future, that's different versus, ha like, a very blanket statement can be made on pick up max already hand traps. You want to make profit eventually? There's no yeah. more secure guarantee in profiting off Yu-Gi-Oh than just picking up max rarity hand traps. You will always profit off of it. Now, there's a little bit of a gray area because Konami fucked me and decided to start printing Starlight Rare hand traps. Like, I don't know why they did that. <laughs> kind of stupid. Yeah, now, you're, now your ultimate rares look kind of weak. No, shut up. Okay, now... There's a big difference between Starlight Rares and Ulti. First of all, Ultis are special little snowflakes, right? They, they get printed <laughs> in very special ways, and, like, you, you appreciate the old ones. But, like, these Starlight Rares are fucking gaudy, and they're gross, and they're, like, some shit you'd see on, like, home network television. There's some shit that you just are, change Are you saying this because you don't have them? Sir, didn't you get a Starlight Zeus? Okay, well, that, that Starlight Zeus looks really nice. But that's exactly <laughs> the point I'm making, right? Like, if you're going to invest money into this game, and you're like, fuck, Zeus is $70, $80. You know what? But I need it for my deck. I'm going to spend $70 on my Zeus. And in a year's time, when Zeus is a $20 secret rare, you're like, I just lost $50. First of all, when you're playing mm -hmm. Yu-Gi-Oh!, you're leasing your cards. You're not buying them. And secondly... True. Your Zeus, that's 70 and depreciated down to 20 whereas I spent 350 on my Zeus, and it's already gone up, what, almost 100%. So, who actually wins in the end? With all the profit I've made, I can buy three more Zeuses. So, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, go ahead. I don't know what you're saying, but continue. Um... <laughs> I don't even know. Uh... But yeah, so these high ceiling cards again, uh, they're good to invest in just because I feel like it's very low risk, high reward. You can put in like let's say ten dollars and just getting twenty copies of this card that you think that would potentially be good because of the power level of the card, and then if it ends up being good, awesome. You usually make like several hundred percent profit. And if it doesn't, then it's whatever. Especially with, like, extremely high-powered cards for underrepresented archetypes. Like, look at Snake Rain. Mm -hmm. That card, like, last year, dirt cheap. And now it's $15 for a rare. Just because Konami finally printed decent too. reptiles. I think Snake Rain's, like, a bad example just because it's was such a meme in the Yu-Gi-Oh community <laughs> to like wall True. snake rain buy it out whenever you think that's some decks like fucking do you remember a lot one of the last times in the last five years snake rains got bought out was not because of this new abyss archetype but because danger suchinoko got announced when danger oh, suchinoko right. got announced everyone's like oh snake rain it's like you're an idiot but <laughs> yeah. but like that's that's why it, it's hard to really 
like use Snake Rain as a good example of this because it was so already obviously on the forefront and everyone was referencing it as like the go-to thing. Uh, yeah. There's some cards that... So if you want to, like... If you want to hit... If you want to gamble and hit on some things, the obvious I always say is you, if you can go for max rarity, relative speaking, I'm not talking about DDS blue eyes. There's max rarity and then there's like premier bullshit rarity. Whereas that's where like DDS stands and yeah. like Starlight Trish, I think, counts as shit like that. Like premier bullshit rarity is exactly what it sounds like we're we're not really counting those those are for high stakes no. collectors we don't worry about that if you're listening to this looking for real advice you don't need to hear me and you're if you're dealing with starlight rares um so ignoring starlight rares prize cards all that shit if you're looking to make a profit off of something you need to acknowledge that you probably want to go max rarity because when everything's all said and done max rarity is going to be the most sought after for the people who have money and mm-hmm. when shit depreciates and shit is going to i'm gonna stop swearing when stuff is gonna go down <laughs> and uh you know when the value goes down the things that are gonna bounce back and things that are gonna get invested back into later on is gonna be the match rarity stuff not the low rarity stuff the low rarity stuff only catches up as a consequence of the max rarity being way too high already. So look at common uh, Atlantean Dragoons for a long time. That card was a $10, $15 common for us for a good while. Why? Just because the ulti already hit 100. So what, like, so when it comes to the max rarity stuff, you kind of want to just kind of dive off the deep end if you're confident that that's something that's going to appreciate in value. Secondly, knowing I, which. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say like another good example, like other than the dragoons, would probably would have been like Max C. Like that oh. card's currently banned, but the ulti still keeps going up, and the low rarity copies of that card have maintained like a relatively high price for what it for being a banned card, right? It's because everybody want like everybody wants that card back for some reason it's like ocg has it why don't we have it and people don't seem to understand how bad that card is that card people are going to give me shit for being ignorant of you know the poor people's plight like smells like broken here but if you (laughs) have an issue with me saying just pick up starlight zeus for 350 you know how i got that zeus i sold a max c for 500 so sorry you know the maxi that cost me less than 100 to get i sold for five I turned that into a Zeus that now already got about 100% profit or whatever the hell it's at now. I don't know. I don't care because I profited. You're anyway, about a okay. 75% profit. Yeah. So you see, it, it, obviously, if you can hit all the time, then you're just rich. But that's not always yeah. the case. So anyways, the rarity angle of it. If you can, it's a case-by-case basis. But for more often than not, the max rarity option is the better option. I lose out on that quite often. But a good angle I like taking is when reprints get announced. I'll jump on people trying to flip their maturity copies mm-hmm. for cheap because, you know what? In two years' time, your ultra-rare Phantasme is going to be worth $10, but my secret rare is going to be over 100 
I just I'm kind of taking that burden now of taking the loss. Uh, secondly, knowing what to invest into. Obviously, this is a more important one. Uh, there's certain things that are only applicable if you're talking about what rarity. There's things like Vanity's Emptiness. Like if you're kind of ahead of the game, you can pick up and you're just, you know, you're sailing in the money. But like, if we're talking about knowing what to hit, I always say hand traps are like the number one thing to go for every time. Yeah. Like, I don't have a very large collection anymore because I keep flipping Yu-Gi-Oh for Yu-Gi-Oh and investing in every new format's deck. So I keep taking a bit of a loss every time. But like, I have a play set of ulti first DD Crows, a play set of ulti first Veilers, a play set of ulti uh, Droll and Lockbird, right? Uh, like, what other hand drafts? A play set of secret first Skullmeisters. Like, it's just every time a new hand trap comes out, I try to get it max rarity. So again, like secret first phantasmes. Uh you know, you go down the list. I try to go all in on hand traps because they will always if they're not gonna go up, they're usually holding value better than just random Yu-Gi-Oh cards do. Yeah. Uh, like the thing with hand traps is they're gonna be applicable no matter almost no matter what. It's mm-hmm. so like just having them on hand is like it's better than not having them you know what i mean yeah we're way past the point where i can tell you just go pick up lob first eds that shit doesn't exist anymore i'm not going to tell you to go pick up vintage cards because you're not going to find those at values like if you want to be super baller and drop 10 grand on every uh good condition lob and mrd first ed you can find congrats you will profit 100 percent guaranteed but people don't have that kind of equity to throw at a children's card game. So looking at the future, look at things that are uh, hand traps, like I said. Uh, Floodgates are another example. Pick up Floodgates or just look at a Floodgate that has no use right now or a card that just screams zero counterplay. So imagine a format where no links, no exceeds, no synchros were played, but all the best decks were like Shadal and Invoked and just fusion variants, right? Obviously, I'm very, very narrow view, but why wouldn't you just invest in non-fusion area? Right? Like, that's yeah. an obscure example, but a non-fusion area is what, like a $1 common right now? Yeah, there yeah. will be a point where this card is going to be $10 in the future. There will be just some point where you need this card because all alternatives just aren't good enough. Because again, Yu-Gi-Oh is a game where, you know, it's like that stupid movie, right? Ricky Bobby. If you're not first, you're last. Because it's true. If you're not the <laughs> perfect number one option, you're unplayable garbage. You don't play almost good enough. You just play the good enough options. So there will be a point where something like non-fusion area is actually just the most perfect example of or a perfect choice for dealing with what we need right now because the format's slow enough where dimensional barrier is not perfect but we need to just out them on their turn and their fusion gimmick also sets them up to disrupt you on your following turn so you need non-fusion area to hit both turns or something you know what i mean that's an example of a card that has zero value now but at some point will go up a thousand percent and, you know, maybe there's somebody who drops 100 bucks on non-fusion areas and then turns it into whatever amount later on. 
But maybe non-fusion area is the bad example because the game's already kind of evolved past that point. Um, I know the other like big card I like I like invest like uh, other big type of card I like investing in is usually generic extra deck stuff. Stuff like Apollosa. Um trying to think yeah. of another one that started like right now, high highest rarity Apollosa. No, oh, it's Starlight, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's Starlight. Well, fun. <laughs> but yeah, like those generic extra cards like Apollosa Borload, I think started out a little cheaper. It's still cheap right now. The secret first you can get them for thirty. Well, like or, okay, just like thinking when um Borload originally came out, it started mm-hmm. at like I think forty, fifty bucks. It was forty. Yeah. That's what I yeah. got it for. And then started going up. And then we got like obviously when the reprint came out, it went down, like we say, with these meta cards. But again, like there's there's certain there's certain like generic extra deck cards or even like more niche extra deck cards that are just kind of like waiting to be broken. Because yep. like right now there's uh Christron Phoenix was like two dollars last month. It's close it was to twenty dollars three days ago. Yeah. Oh yeah. And now it's a twenty dollar card. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what's like what deck is playing it. But it's a twenty dollar card now. Oh gosh. What deck was it? Regardless, yeah it's a like it's a powerful synchro monster that wasn't seeing any play that people could have easily invested in just because it's I'm pretty sure it's generic. No, it's uh, one synchro tuner and one non-synchro tuner monster. That's still pretty it generic. is not generic whatsoever. That's it's a very monster. That's a Halka Fibrax going into a formula synchron. Easy. Yeah, but what's your non-synchro fusion? Or non-synchro uh, tuner. Or sorry, non-tuner synchro. We don't know that yet. You guys want the juice? You guys want the the Cody Roulette special, the uh, the oh, secret money making fucking card you can get right now for under five dollars. That'll be over ten at some point in the next two months. Hit him, Godarla, yeah. the Wind Kaiju. Got him. Yep. Not for the very obvious, because look, not everyone's gonna think about the game at that in depth of a level or invest that much of their fucking critical thinking skills. It's so much easier to just complain after shit screws you over. But mm-hmm. obviously, Godarla, Kaiju, Kaiju, good. What card beats Herald of Ultimateness? If they have Vanity's Ruler, that <laughs> sucks to suck. But what card beats <laughs> Herald of Ultimateness, right? Mm-hmm. And Bird Up. That's the Wind Kaiju. Now, more importantly, what Kaiju? Beats Herald of Ultimatus, Bird Up, and Dragoon. Because most recently, the extravaganza showed that, yeah, Dragoons is that obnoxious. And I just top forward a box tournament playing Dragoon Turbo deck. It, you know how many people tried kaijuing me? One guy. Didn't matter, I still won. But the point being is, if he was playing the win kaiju, he wouldn't have lost a Bird Up. So, I'm just saying, maybe... Invest in a catch-all kaiju that deals with some of the most degenerate monsters that exist in the meta right now. 
and watch how fast your stuff goes up. I think we're just at a point now where, like, if you don't have a bunch of kaijus anyways, you're doing something wrong. You say that, but Gamisio for a long time was a... Our little turtle kaiju was a $20 rare, just because he was mm-hmm. the weakest one. Like, True. I, there will be a point where you're going to want your little wind kaiju because it's a kaiju that beats everything like every other kaiju, but it just happens to be able to summon up. You could just be able to summon it under the wind statue. So mm-hmm. maybe pick yours up. Yeah. So I think a lot of this kind of falls under general rules for like how to buy your cards. Um, like there's the obvious stuff, like, like you're saying, like buy low, try to sell, like try to sell or trade in your stuff at their peak when you know you're not going to use them anymore. Uh, yeah, I think like, the or, one... If I was smart, I'd get rid of all of my Dogmatica stuff right now. But yeah. I like to pack rat, so I'm probably not going to do it, and then I'll complain that Dogmatica's just... I took an L with it later on. Whatever. I don't care anymore. There's like yeah, there's a point where you have to realize you're always going to take an L on like a lot of stuff, especially if you're playing competitively. Mm-hmm. Um... I know, like, in my case, like, I'm not getting... I'm in the same boat. Like, I should get rid of Dogmatica, but I'm not going to because I've played a lot and I like the engine. So, I know already that I'm going to take a huge loss on the value of my Dogmatica stuff, but I'm at the point now where, like, I accept that there's certain things that when I get them, I'm not getting full value back for it. Yeah. that's There's one thing, too. If you are someone who lives in California or New York or any of these places, apparently Montreal, that place is bumping. I want to move to Montreal because they got a huge yep. Yu-Gi-Oh scene. I've been, I was talking to a lot of Montreal guys the last couple of days. Anyways, um, if you are fortunate enough to live in one of those huge areas for Yu-Gi-Oh, then you don't have to fall into this trap. But us three grown men who play a children's card game doing this podcast in the middle of buttfuck Canada... Uh, don't have the same privileges that some players do where they have access to any card in person at basically any time. So one thing that I do is, you know what? For peace of mind, I will bite the bullet and I'll spend a premium to get my shit day one. I will go in on cards because you know what? I needed Forbidden Droplets, Triple Tactical Talents, and a Deer Servant day one. So... All that stuff, plus every other random card that was in that set I needed. I was out, what is it, $1,200? Something like that? If you bought basically the same things as I did, and I was out, I think, 1500 Yeah, some absurd amount. When I say I spent that much, I didn't actually spend that much. I used a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah. You know what most of that was? I traded in. I got rid of three Ghost First Honests. Now... Would I ever tell somebody to make that same move? No, definitely not. Because Ghost Honests basically never go down. They will go up, and that's just like gold in cardboard. But these Ghost Honests gave me the liberty to play whatever I want with the best cards from now on. Uh, big takeaway from this, though, is I wanted these cards right away, and I knew they were good. And look at what droplets is at. My droplets and talents alone are worth close to what I spent to get those nine hit secrets. 
So I could realistically sell my talents and droplets right now for about the same amount as what I spent to get those six plus the three Nadir Servant. If I was so money conscious and wanting to make a profit off of my Yu-Gi-Oh maneuvers, that's what I would do. So, like, there's some benefits to investing early if you know what you're investing into is going to hit, but quite often investing right away it kind of sucks so if you have the community to that you can rely on of having resources for the following month then don't always jump on the first thing you can buy yeah i know with uh like yeah like with here if we hadn't gotten our talents day one we most likely would have taken like two to three months just to get the like scrounge a playset after yeah because you guys you guys snagged the ones from both the stores eh oh yeah that yeah. happens every time. yeah yeah i spent the next weekend yeah i spent the following weekend hounding people for them yes this hap- this happens with me and cody a lot where we kind of just go all in and grab as much as we can to the point where we have to coordinate where we're getting stuff from so we're not stepping on each other's toes and we can both get the place of cards we need every single time we plan on who's getting what from where and to the point where we'll like micromanage where hey i have enough credit to get one from fusion so i'll get two from galaxy you want to grab you know x from fusion and for those out of the loop those are our two local spots so yeah we uh we definitely do a lot of prep work to get these hit pieces like before anyone else has a chance most recent example is pot of prosperity i don't know if fusion still has any of those or Galaxy i'd have to double check i don't think they do yeah i'd be surprised if they did um so that's a good example of another card that if you so pot of prosperity is a card where that i think is so ridiculously broken that you have to bite the bullet on it and get it immediately. And more importantly, you it's in a set just so flooded with garbage that it's not going to be cost efficient for stores to open up sealed product. It's not like a set like Duelist Revolution, like D-Rev, that had Solemn Warning and, you know, Pot of Duality and all that other shit in it. Because or even like return of the duelist, like, yeah, like they're for set, right? Yeah. So I was willing to go all in on Pot of Prosperity day one because you know what, there's just not gonna be enough to go around. Just give it to me now. You didn't even have to. We owed you. Yeah, it's all part of the plan, dude. <laughs> you guys well, plan like, what you even... want from a set a week before, like I worked out a deal with nick what two months before the set came out on yep. the understanding that when this set dropped i was getting pot of prosperities from him yep like this yeah, was we're... all in the works jordan's like oh yeah you, i owed you so it just happened to fall in place no this was fucking orchestrated <laughs> no i i knew exactly what was happening when cody offered me like full rarity invoke like invoked package i was like there's gonna be pots involved at some point yeah so again let's look at uh how i came to be in what is like the hottest card of the new set right you can boil it down to as simple as i traded nick 
Max Rarity Invoke stuff, which is like, okay, well, you had Max Rarity Invoke, must be nice. But how did I get Max Rarity Invoke? I had the very first Invoked Core I invested $100 into. I got everything I needed for Invoke for 100 bucks. This is back when, like, secret Invoke or Invocations and everything, like, so it wasn't super expensive. Uh, fast forward to Invocation came out as an ulti. Through uh, I ended up buying one for 50 and then I traded into a store to get another one for 50 and then this is when an invocation was like a 25 secret. I Somebody pulled one and I told him I'll give him two secrets for one ulti, which like it was value for value, but I obviously didn't need secrets anymore. So I get rid of one secret, trade him two, and yeah, all of a sudden I was, you know, about $200 invested into the 250 if you want to be really generous into max rarity inv invoked at this point and then fast forward what was it two years a year i got to play with invoked i won a couple mats with invoked got a lot of money out of playing the deck and then i flipped it to nick for what was it 450 yeah. something like that 500 whatever it ended up being yeah around there yeah so like say what you want but i ended up getting at least a hundred percent profit off of it, which then came to be this stuff, and that's and like, how it starts. And you have to like look at it from my point of view, where like I'm the guy spending the five hundred on the invoked engine. Again, we're we're dealing with those like highest possible rarities for these cards. So, in the future, let's say invocation gets like hit, comes back anything like that and somehow like invocations back or invoked is back as like a top tier deck in let's say like two or three years i now have the highest possible rarity of invocations that card's going to be worth so much of that yeah oh like, like i i didn't yeah. win in the exchange with nikolai he no. will eventually profit over me on that exchange the trade-off being is i if you want to look at it as solely that one singular case with nothing that led into that, then yeah, I lost. But I, over the course of years playing, turned who knows the, you know, fifty dollars that ended up being the hundred that the invoked engine was into the two fifty into the five hundred, right? Like, there's all this stuff that happens, and I'm constantly up-to-date and playing current Yu-Gi-Oh! with whatever cards I want. So I never have to go into a tournament saying, oh shit, I don't have the best card. What am I going to play? Mm -hmm. so I have the freedom to play whatever deck I want, and I'm good to go. I think that kind of leads into like the other general rule that I like to have, where um, I believe that you need to be willing to sit on cards for a while like i know i'm a very very impatient person um like i said i like it's like what i was mentioning i like to get my cards day one i generally disregard the price like the it's i'm usually going to take a loss on cards that i get on day and I know that, but I'm very impatient on this. Preface what he's saying with the fact that our community is a lot smaller than some huge Yu-Gi-Oh cities, so we don't have yeah, the liberty so... of dealing with a lot of people. 
Yeah, so like for Pod of Prosperity day one openings, there was maybe 12 available through stores that we had access to. And between the three of us, we snagged nine of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, again, day one, I like grabbing my stuff right away because I don't know if the supply is going to be there in like a week or two weeks when general, like other players of bigger communities will be able to just like go out and get them. Um, I'm actually going to open up my binder right now just to look at an example of something that I'm just hoarding. Like what card do I just have? Because I think it's going to have some value later on. Because I have a binder of just, it's like a catalog of decks I played at this point. <laughs> but like, yeah. uh, this random secret dimensional barriers, but that's more of a catalog or like an, that's an, like artifact of the format. Uh, anti magic arrows. I'm still convinced is a hidden gem that no one is uh, acknowledging. Like I don't understand why anti magic arrows hasn't been part of like the best deck format type situation yet. No, I still got mine too. Yeah, anti-magic arrows, pick those up if you can find them for dirt cheap. Because at some point, it'll be a, like, $30, $40 ultra. Um, oh, so another thing to hit on, right? Like, not knowing what cards to invest into. Obviously, rarity matters, but uh, any card that says pot of something is pretty good. So if you have access to pot of desires, pot of duality, pot of prosperity whatever it is if it starts with pot it's probably a good card so what ends up happening is every time a new pot comes out i always invest in max rarity pot now we're not saying bumfuck collector bs rarity like secret rare pot of prosperity that doesn't exist i'm talking about ultimate rare pot of dualities you know how much i got these for 50 dollars each they're 200 each now uh pot of desires uh, I was one of those guys who invested into Pot of Desires, like Max, when they came out. But same thing happened. Pot of Desires tanks. I end up taking a little bit of a loss, swapping my secrets for ultis. But I still ended up having uh, a playset of ultis by the end of it without too much invested. And what's ulti Pot of... De- I want to just check it. Pot of Desires. What are we at? Uh... A lot of money. Yeah, because like I ended up probably after everything was said and done, I was out maybe if you want to be generous, eighty Canadian for each pot of desires ulti. And this is after investing initially huge on secret pot desires. Everything that it cost me to turn those into my ultis. Uh, and now what are they at? They're like one fifteen ish US. So. I'm already net profit on these ulti paw desires, right? Uh, what What's the other one? Uh, Pot of Extravagance. I wish I could find more collector's rares, but that's the juice right now. Um, mm-hmm. And then... Yeah, I'm trying to think. Looking through here. Pot cards. Good money. Get those. Cards that are just... Another thing to hit on is cards that are not future-proofed in the slightest. And what I mean by that is a card that just does something that's so fucking strong for what it does, but just not yet. 
right? Snake Rain is the obvious example. Herder, as soon as any reptile graveyard effect ever exists, Snake Rain's broken. But I'm thinking about way in the past. Fire Formation Tanky. Just from that point on, there will never be a Beast Warrior archetype to exist without Tanky being involved in some manner. Because that card's just not future-proofed, right? We will always have Tanky involved in some manner, i.e. Zodiac, right? Nobody builds a Zodiac deck without starting with three Tanky, and that's not a Zodiac card. So, who has ulti Tankies? I do, because, you know, it's a card that is just ignorant to what's going to be in the future. Uh, Wing Dragon Ross Sphere Mode. Why do you not have Sphere Mode? Like, it's, it's Kaiju on steroids. I just picked up a point. Yeah, like, we don't know exactly uh, the meta where Sphere Mode is the ideal side deck choice, but again, we're playing Yu-Gi-Oh. If you want yeah. uh, to be playing and having the highest chance to succeed, you don't play the second best option. You don't play the, oh, it's almost good enough. Sphere Mode at some point will be the best option, so you play it. Uh, and then there's just other things. Like, if you're playing a fun deck... Like, I had a lot of success with Orcust in the past, so I invest into Ulti Galateas um, because they were highest rarity. Uh, so I, you know, Super Galateas are worth nothing. But Ultis, when I picked them up, were about 40 to 50 each, give or take. I, through process of trades and whatever, not too much of a loss, picked up a playset. And I got rid of one of them recently for almost 100. And I still have two. So if I just flip one... I've already made more money than what I invested into them. Stuff yep. like that. Like, just be smart. Yeah. Like, that leads into, like, what I was saying before. Like, you need to be willing to sit on some stuff. And, like, initially, a lot of the times, if you're going to be investing in something, it's, you take a loss. Like, if you're even just, like, buying stocks in the stock market, you're buying them. You're taking a loss, and you're going to sit on them until eventually you make a profit. It's the same thing with Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Like I'm gonna take to my ten dollar loss. Yeah, I'm gonna take my ten dollar loss buying these, like, ice dragons prisons. I'll like buy my fifteen dollars worth of them, and I will sit on them until now they're sixty dollars each. Or even um, again like with the extremely high rarity stuff like ulti invocation. I have them. I'm gonna use them while I have them, obviously, but um. Once I'm done with them, I'm not going to just immediately sell them off. Like, I'm going to sit on them. I know this stuff is going to go up because it's the highest rarity card or highest rarity version of the card right now. Yeah. And even going into like those cards that you're speculating will be good in the future. You yeah. buy them now while they're cheap, you sit on them. And again, it might take two years, but the chance of profit's always going to be there. Yeah. So, like, one thing, an easy way to make profit is just look at the most recent OCG uh, set release. And, obviously, that's our little, you know, glimpse into the future. We look at Lightning Overdrive, for example, is the next set coming out. Uh, what's the most talked about card there? It's Scrap Raptor, right? Everyone's hyping on Scrap Raptor being the most insane thing in the world. Uh... So what do you do with Scrap Raptor? You obviously buy out Scrap Support, right? You're, we're looking at Scrap uh, Recycler, Scrap uh, Golem, stuff like that. So you can take the very literal, direct approach and say, I want Scrap Recyclers. 
pretty common sense. Uh, you buy scrap recyclers and scrap golems right now, you're, you'll make a profit. Uh, but what if you kind of go a little bit roundabout? You know what? I want scrap golems, but I want the uh, super rare because you're going to go match rarity. I guarantee you'll make more of a profit off the super rares right now while they're dirt cheap. And then you start going more indirect. Wait, what else do you need for this engine for it to be really powerful, right? Like Christron Rosenix, you need for the scrap stuff. Pick up Christron Rosenixes for under a dollar because they'll be a $5 common when everyone needs one. Um, what other indirect way can you do it? Uh, you start looking at other stuff too, like sure it's a scrap monster, but guess what? It's also a dinosaur. You get fossil dig. Yeah, like now you can up, search it. Yeah, pick up the super of fossil digs. Right? Uh, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, I'm totally not playing a TFT game right now, but uh, I'm just saying there's ways that <laughs> you can go about picking up not the very literal obvious support like oh does it say scrap oh it's good but what weird things can you get that just are indirectly getting support like that christian rose next is a perfect example it's the current way that you can do a one card scrap recycler full combo um scrap the scrap link obviously right? like scrap wyvern whatever it's called you need a mm -hmm. bunch of those. Those were dirt cheap for a while. I don't know if those are about $5 yet, but I know forever nope. they're cheap. Yeah, so pick those up while they're cheap. Um, I'm trying to think of what else is in this set just off the top. There's a bunch more like spring and support, I think, and stuff like that too. So Yeah. I well, think it's, people... it's even like... Um... Go ahead. I was gonna say, like, it's like with Spriggan's. Like, I got my Spriggan core for fifteen dollars, and like the potential for it to go up with the next set because the next set makes Spriggan's maybe not like the most competitive deck in the world, but actually competitive. Will like, I don't know if it's gonna boost the price, but like, I'm willing to invest the fifteen dollars into the deck if I'm gonna play it in the future and maybe make a small profit of it because of the next set coming up or even looking at cards like because like there's the uh attic nister there's more support for that deck coming out now and lightning overdrive i know all the attic nister cards went up there's a link two coming out for the uh tri brigade deck and that card will be really good for the deck when it comes out so there's there's a lot of research going like that needs to kind of go into trying to make to maximize the profits you make in this game. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of like you need to preface all this with saying there's no catch-all obvious way to make money off this because if yeah. everyone knew about it, then there'd be no profit made. So you need to kind of be ahead of the curve in some way. Like there's a couple general rules I already covered. You know, hit hand traps, hit floodgates, hit you know highly anticipated stuff, but don't just think that's it like that scrap wyvern or scrap recycler angle i was just talking about you could very easily look at every single scrap engine that every deck has played in the last two years and look at what random things that they need to play to facilitate that whole scrap engine and then mm -hmm. you realize wait there's these like two or three cards that are still dirt cheap but you need these for this highly anticipated engine to even function 
So I'm going to buy all those, right? That's, that's how you make easy profit. And then you make a hundred, two hundred dollars off of you flipping this shit. And then that all of a sudden pays for the hype secret rare in the next set. Yep. For me, I'm more like an example that's kind of hitting home right now. Um, I'm very excited for Abyss, like the new graveyard reptile deck that's coming out. Uh, the card I've now I'm sitting on 12 copies of are um, both of the reptilian tuners. Purely because they're a tuner monster, so there's the potential for things like Halky Fibrax plays inside Abyss. Um, they can make cards like Reptilian Hydra, which is can potentially be a very obnoxious card in that deck, netting you an insane amount of advantage. But like right now, they're what maybe a one dollar common. If Abyss in any way becomes a popular deck, and on the off chance that they start playing these random tuners, I'm gonna make an insane amount of profit off of that. And like, there's a reason I have. A playset of like reptilian echidna, the link monster, and alien shock trooper M frame, like the alien yeah. link monster. One other thing that, sorry, Nick, I'll let you finish. I was just gonna say, like, they're both two dollar cards right now. Like, there's no reason not to just have a playset of them on the off chance that they go up. Yeah. So one thing I want to point out is some people, they play the micro game. And that's where, like, what you guys are mentioning is you pick a card up and you sit on it for a while, right? And you end up profiting, give or take, a 1,000%, mm-hmm. depending on the card. Some cards just end up being that way. Like you said, you have a $2 card now, and it ends up being a $10 card in the near future, or not even, like, more than $10 card. Like, there's some that go up to, like, 40 it's ridiculous. And not every um, card is a hit. Like, I'm sitting on warning no. points right now, and I'm still convinced that card's going to be money in the future. It isn't yet. Yeah. But who knows? Yeah, no, but there's other, like, there's little micro profits that you can make off of smaller cards. Like, there were a lot of the prismatic secrets that came out in the 2020 Megaton. Uh, sit on them for about three months, and some of them have gone up by about. I want to say two, maybe 300%. Mm-hmm. And they were two to $5 cards. And now they're about six to $15 cards within a three month span. And that just kind of happens. Like good examples of that would be like mystic mind when it came out. Wasn't that high when it got reprinted. And now finding them is a little on the difficult side. They're maybe 10 bucks each. Mm-hmm. Uh, crackdown, same idea came out just a couple bucks. Now they're $5 each. Um, yeah sometimes (laughs) sometimes that's also a way like i know some people that's how they manage their um profits in this game is they do the small game they buy the smaller stuff that will go up maybe a few dollars in a month or so time and then they sell it then and you end up making you still profit but you don't profit as much as you would buying those cards that you can sit on for months and then sell. So there's some cards that are just like huge red flags from the get-go though. Like you, you look at something like Pot of Desires. It came out and for us it was what seventy Canadian ish each. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. th- that was high. But we got for, good for about like fifty. Yeah, like you could find them yeah. for cheaper 
a lot of people made big profit. But, like, some people are... Sorry, I just had this amazing set alt that just, like, 1v9. Okay, anyways. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's, there's some cards that are just expensive, so you need to make money elsewhere, but it's just worth it because they go up regardless. Like, Pot of Prosperity is a good example. This card's gonna be all the profit. Um... Yep. Uh, what's an example of a card that I'm waiting to go down, dodge the initial hype, and then pick it up when I can? Like, this Underworld Goddess of Closed World. I want this card. I don't think it's as good as people were expecting it to be. But I'm No, it's not when it's $30. Like 20... When it's a $20 secret? Yeah, I'm jumping on that, because it yeah. will go up once supply is down. Yeah. No, right now it is... Roughly about thirty Canadian. Mm -hmm. I, I might have my set already. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna wait on that one. I, I just, yeah, I picked my I picked mine up early just in case because I've been bitten the butt too many times where I waited to get a card and then it shot up like three hundred percent and I was like, ah, crap! Now there's no point. So just buy what I buy. It's fine. Yeah, well, apparently what I do now. Yeah. My favorite is when, a uh, little bit of story time, we had, this is way back when, gosh, I don't remember exactly when it was, uh, I was building a fun deck, right, I was building UAs when UAs first came out, so I bought, uh, I went to our local scene, before locals, an hour before, so there's a huge, decent sized crowd gathering, there's about like 10 people all at the Yu-Gi-Oh counter, and I asked for MX Saber Invoker. This is before Invoker got banned and all that, obviously. Way before it was even super hype with Goki and whatnot. I pick up MX Saver Invokers for 10 Canadian each. No, less than that. Secret, no one played. Five. Uh, yeah, it was dirt cheap. Uh, I was like, I need two for my uh, UA deck. And they're like, okay, sure, no problem. And they had five in stock, whatever it was, because again, no one buys it. Uh, a local guy, Kevin, kind of butts his head and he's like, what's Cody buying? What do you just buy? And then I'm like, uh, MX Saber Invoker. Again, no one even knew what this card was at the point. He's like, give me three. He just buys three, doesn't even read it. Buys three, puts it in his deck box, right? <laughs> Not two months later, I think people started playing it in like wind up or something. Card went yeah. to the card went to like eighty dollars Canadian, like two months later. It was the funniest shit in the world. And he looked at me, he's like, you know, you profited me like a hundred and fifty dollars, right? And I'm like yeah, I, I wasn't even buying it for that, but sure. <laughs> so he just started buying shit that I was buying, and I thought that was funny. Yeah. See, a lot of the time when Cody tells me to buy something, I ask for explanations. And for the most part, Cody's explanations are very well thought out, and like it makes sense why to buy them. Usually it's like a lot of that, the thought that goes into it, it's because... A card is not future-proofed in the slightest. There is a card that just does too much for some narrow play, but for the rest of Yu-Gi-Oh's existence, that narrow play will never be the same and will always be exploited by that one card. So Snake Raid mm -hmm. is obvious, but then you have MX Saber Invoker. For the rest of time, if an archetype needs to tutor out an Earth Warrior, you know what you're doing. Um the guard dragon LP and like, yep. all those. Yeah, for the rest Wait. of time, dragons will now be going through guard dragons if they want to play. Um, what's a, an example right now? Or Okay, so I spent a 
decent chunk of change. I definitely am at a net loss of like 50 bucks probably on trap tricks. For the rest of time, no deck that functions off of a normal trap will not go through trap trick in some capacity because trap trick has not future proofed for traps. This card will always be existing if you desperately need to hit that trap card. So, do you have your copy of uh, Trap Tricks? Because I invested in Max Ready Trap Tricks. I don't even... Actually, you know what? Just for... Just to humor myself. Let's check what Trap Tricks at right now. Because I got my playset for just under 100 Canadian. What is the market for the secret first eds? If you looked right now on TCG Player, there's a $24 US for Secret First. So it's pr getting pretty close to what I spent. But, you know, in a year from now, they might be 50 se for Secrets. Year after that, 100. Like, who knows what they end up being. But it's because I know any deck that relies on traps will have to play Trap Trick. If it's, like, that important. There's one card I think might go up, but I could be wrong. The Bujinki Ahashime. Is that the link? Yeah, it's the link too, where it needs two monsters that are the same level, but then when it hits the board, you special summon a monster of the same level from your hand and graveyard, and then uh, exes them away right away. Um, I think it's yeah, maybe. Uh, I think that's a little bit too narrow. Like that's not like. Like, it's not bad. It's just, like, there's... There has to be a very specific deck that plays into that card in some manner. Who knows? Maybe. But, like, it's not, like, a very card that screams... A very obvious card that screams, like, hey, this card's going to be broken for X reason. Not like uh, Union Carrier. Everyone knew right from the get-go Union Carrier was going to be broken. Um, what's like, other... generally, when you're looking at these, like, cards that are not like not feature proof it they're the ones that are like tutoring or summoning or searching for the deck mm -hmm. like if anything that gets you a piece of something oh so yeah like you need barrier invoker if a card says special summon from the deck that's a huge fucking problem in Yu-Gi-Oh. if it's mm -hmm. a card that says that and it's in your extra deck it is guaranteed going to be banned or abused until it gets banned Hell, a card as restrictive as uh, the Salamon Great, Mirage Stalio, that card's already banned. Like, that should tell you enough. And that card's super, like, restrictive in what you can do after you do it. So, there's a lot of very obvious things if you put just a couple minutes of thought into it. Oh, hey, this card's really abusable. Why is no one doing it yet? Maybe pick up a couple while they're cheap before people realize. I'm surprised that card's banned and not Halk. Uh, I think it's just a... I, honestly, like, that's another meme right now. It's just, like, lol, snake, rain, reptiles. Uh, why is Hulk not banned, but everything that supports it is? Uh, yeah, like, I don't think anyone right now would recommend picking up Hulk if you want to try to profit, because oh, it's... Man. Yeah, the, it's... Yeah, don't... Yeah. Especially don't... with the ultimate rare being coming out right away, you're... You'd not be. You're better off waiting to pick up the ultras as soon as people get their ultimates. The ultras are going to drop in value because there's going to be such a high supply of them, and people don't know what to do with them. So, 
$30 Hawk five racks are going to drop down to like 20 maybe even 15 if you're lucky. Like some people might drop them that low. Do either of you have any other like general when you're like. Nikolai cut out like five times there, but let me look at the yeah, show right. notes to get an idea of what he was trying to say. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was so, just I mean, asking if you guys have like any other general kind of follow when you're I, um, buying or trading. I'm a bad example because, like I said recently, I've been trying to like catch up to getting all these high end stuff, so like I kind of have them. Um, and you live in Europe. I live in Europe, so it's actually even harder for me to get cards. I straight up have to buy them and get them shipped here. Uh, but yeah. I uh, I don't even know where I was going with that. Holy crap, am I tired? <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'll take over. Um, yeah. I don't recommend and/or condone ripping people off, so don't take what I'm about to say as that. But there is a lot of ways to make incremental profit and slight and trade slightly weighted in your favor that otherwise wouldn't be normally. First of all. If you're selling cards, if you're selling cards, don't expect to get retail for them. Because no. if somebody was going to buy your cards, then and you're the one selling and you're actively trying to sell them, why wouldn't they just go buy them from a retail source already, right? Whereas the trade-off being, if you're buying, if you're actively looking for something, don't expect to get a good deal either, right? Because you're the one looking. It's all about who initiates the, the trade or the exchange. Uh, secondly, money talks. Money's very obvious. If a card is worth $25 on TCG Player and somebody has one and somebody's like, yeah, no, I, I valued about $25. Uh, how about $20? They're like, well, no, $25. Like, okay, $20. Like, Okay, I'll just mm -hmm. wait, right? Like, it's not that big of a deal. I can wait on five bucks. Uh, a lot of people will be stingy until you pull out money. As soon as you have money, shit changes real quick. People have a hard time saying no to money. So, I love going to regionals and stuff out of the city, or just regionals in general, and having 20 bucks on me, because people, especially... Actually, this is my favorite, right? If you're in regionals in the States, you have 20 bucks. Easy. If you're in regionals in Canada, 25. One of my favorite things to do is having $25. This is a cute trick. Have $25. Sit at a table that people are opening their entry packs with. And people pull some hit secret that's like 40 bucks. And be like, hey, I'll cover your entry for your secret. People are like, fuck it, sure, whatever. So I got to play regionals for free. That's their mindset. And sure, you can consider that ripping them off, but that's just taking advantage of the situation. Like, hey, I'll cover your entry. I'll give you 25 bucks. Give me the secret. You profited, and they got to play in the regionals for what was essentially free. That's yep. not. That's a loss that people are not... They don't mind taking. So no one feels like they actually lost out on that. Uh, the idea of people getting anything for free always kind of like hits a little different. Um, the idea of throw-ins is a favorite of mine, right? Like, if you look through somebody's binder, 90% of it's stuff that's too much money for a throw-in. But, like, I'm trying to think of what's on my counter right now. Let's talk about Crackdown. You guys are talking about Crackdown just now. Uh, mm -hmm. Somebody has a Crackdown in the binder. 
and you guys work out a trade like hey this is about 50 in value you know you work out that it's just about 50 right and they're like uh mm -hmm. yeah no let's do it i'm like you know what i really need this for a deck you throw in a crackdown i'd be like yeah sure whatever it's only like three four bucks boom you get a crackdown yep. like stuff like that like not actively trying to rip people off i'm not trying to to say scum people but you could very easily pick up stuff like like just getting throw-ins getting the difference between round numbers like it's a psychology thing right people love round numbers if somebody's got a card that's 25 28 dollars right like just round it down and see if people will take it for hard cash people love just yeah you want 20 bucks you want 30 bucks for your 35 dollar card like it's very easy to make small incremental profit and then if you do that over the course of a month you know nine ten times you could come out with fifty dollars in profit off of what was just minor ticky tack things mm -hmm. and that's how i got a lot of my cards like i admittedly get a lot of support from the people around me like a fuck ton of my cards like the minor things that i don't have are from the people around me like i needed randomly a gravekeeper commandant and i had jordan give me one <laughs> i needed one i could have picked one up from local store but it would cost me five bucks i'm not going to that store anytime soon and jordan nope. says he has a gravekeeper commandant i'm like okay i need it give it to me um stuff like that uh not actively trying to rip him off i'm not looking at this gravekeeper commandant because i want to flip it and make a five dollar profit off of his cards but i just didn't have one I just want to play it. Yeah. Right. No, I know it's like me and you, we constantly have about like anywhere between twenty to fifty dollars of just like a trade going on at all points in time. That's another thing too. If you're if you have a group of players that you're very comfortable with, rely on them and lean on them a little bit. Because that gray area that Nikolai was just alluding to, like you can not abuse that, but you can very easily profit in situations where or not profit but you could just not take the loss you can dodge a loss yeah. like how many times are nick me and you are more regularly doing this lately just because we've been testing and playing yeah uh together mostly for the last year or so but like me and you will exchange cards back and forth right like if somebody needs a dragoon or a boar load or a boar sword or random bum card right like hey well here use this one and then we'll go from there like hey i need dragoon okay cool i'll you can have this one or like i'll let you know i need a dragoon and you can at some point get one for dirt cheap and then it gets its way to me because you know i need one right like that's that very literally happened in the last year stuff like that it happened several times yes <laughs> stuff like that i went through a lot of dragoons this year I still need one more. I went through zero. You should probably fix that. Yeah, you should. I've considered it. But yeah, so I like... I don't have like, all the other people's for Dragoons, so it's like, I don't see a point right now. You say that, but Dragoons is going to be the newest, hottest commodity now that Dragoons just yeah. really stupid extravagance. Yeah, it's going to piss probably. me off, too. Same thing happens every time. I get hype on something, I'm like, I'm going to play Dragoons. So I played a Goons deck in that box tournament, and just sack mm -hmm. people with Goons all day. And then extravaganza, or extravaganza, guy wins with Dragoon. So now, again, I mm -hmm. just look like I'm copying the fucking best deck. God damn it. <laughs> That's happened to me right now. 
because like there was one of the extravaganza then somebody did well with mermail just yesterday as well too so it was mermails gross yeah yeah hey hey gross no not gross it's fine i'll just royal tribute you yeah true and i'll die because i play a full monster deck and i'll just feel like i'm sad now you know, I'm gonna start playing. I'm gonna start playing <laughs> Dimension Shifter with the Royal Tribute, cause I just oh, want your stuff to get banished turn one. That's funny. Why are you so mean? Because I'm scum. Yeah. And at some point, you just need to acknowledge it and latch onto it and just enjoy it. Go for the ride. <laughs> it's just like this whole Tom Brady showed out the greatest of all time, winning his seventh ring. You know, at some point, people are just gonna have to sit back and enjoy it. Enjoy for the ride. I'm scum. <laughs> I'm gonna enjoy it. I'm going to ruin your experiences with the children's card game. Let's go. You do that. Now, I've ranted a lot this episode just because I have a million different ideas going on for Yu-Gi-Oh! and how to profit off of it. So if, in my incessant rambling, you were able to pick up on something that you haven't thought of before and you make profit off of it, congrats. Give me a shout-out. Uh, and yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else to really... There's a lot of other stuff I could definitely elaborate on, but it would just be redundant at this point because I think we covered I everything say, in general. The general, the, the general stuff has been mentioned. Like if people actually like dive into it, they can figure out the nuances pretty easily. Mm -hmm. Like I said, there's there's the micro trend. There's like the micro purchases, or there's the uh, the sit on purchases and stuff like that. Yeah, I like, think like the big the big thing with us three in particular is where I don't think any three of us are in this game to make those like insane amount of profits where we're getting like hundreds of thousands of dollars from our cards. We're all no. kind of like in this to just be able to keep playing without having to spend too much money on the game. Mm -hmm. Like what you referenced at the beginning, like yeah. playing or collecting, investing to make a profit or just to you know, keep a certain level of equity to fuel your hobby. And that's kind of where I've yeah. been at. Like, I've made a lot of profit here and there. But for the most part, I've just been flipping cards for cards. Yeah. Uh, like, I know when I'm all said and done, I'm probably going to sell like, most of my collection, if not all of it, for something big. Like, I'm really tempted to sell my Ghost First Honest because I want a new laptop. Or Ghost First Stardust. I might do something like that. But, you know what? If you have any kind of success at a regional level even something not even as big as a YCS if you have something like a regionals don't sell your mat very easy way to make profit admittedly sell your deck box sell your mat and you can leave the event with $100 profit grats but you know what i got almost every mat i've won my giant card i won all this stuff on my wall and in 10 15 years after i'm done playing this game i'll still have these as my trophies and yeah, it'll be nice to look back fondly. So yeah. <laughs> you don't need to make an immense amount of profit as long as you are smart. I don't care enough. For, I don't care enough for the mat, so I just get rid of them for the hundred because somebody don't wants it for a hundred. I'm like, sure. Like I know for me, I'm definitely not in it to make any money. Like this is my like, admittedly, it's probably my biggest hobby. Like yeah, it's a for me, it's a hobby. And in my mind, um, I'm not out to do a hobby to make money. Like, that's what I work for. I work to make my, like, 
I work to make my income. I don't play you mm. to like make an income. So for me, like I know at the end of the day, I'm gonna take a monetary loss. But when I'm out of the game, it'll be nice that I can sell some of these things that I've accumulated over the years for at least a little bit of the money back. You know what I mean? You guys are making me so sad right now. Good, you should feel well, bad. Not... You know who's who should feel really bad? Raffy. Local guy. You know, Raffy, little Raff. Okay. That guy, I swear, has made more money, more profit in the remote dual seasons than I've ever had in any season. I swear <laughs> that kid's probably won over 100 OTS packs by now. Just off random yeah. tournaments. Like, I look at all these random American locals and Discord servers and stuff, and it's like, they always like to put whoever won their most recent locals on a pedestal so they give them some special title in discord or something you know cheesy and it's like local terror or local champion or you know defender of whatever cliche bullshit and you know it's always raffy i looked at the <laughs> results page it's like who won you know results page or like standings it's always fucking raffy he wins every tournament every single one and i look i'm like you little fucker. So then I'm like, you know, I need to, I need to up my game. Cause I went on some w ridiculous win streaks in the past, but Rafi's making bank off of tournaments. So if you're good enough, you just make profit off winning all the time. Mm -hmm. Shout out to that kid. Damn. Oh no. Like I've, I've admittedly spent the last couple months, not really focusing on the game as much as I used to, or like, I'm not like quarantine's kind of kept me out of, my usual routine of like going over to Cody's place and testing. So like, I haven't been playing a whole lot. So I know with like more recent locals up until like last week, I was ending like X2 way more than I'm used to. And seeing Rafi do very well, I want like, I want in. I, I'm going yeah, back. These into are this. my packs. He's winning all my packs. He's taking everything <laughs> I worked for motherfucker. No, just seriously though. He's, He's making bank. I gotta give that kid so much credit. Because I watch. He's. I've played him twice since I started playing Remote Duels. And he too owes me so fast. It's actually disheartening. I need to get revenge on that kid. Yep. Let's go beat him. Yeah. Good luck, man. That guy is riding a high so hot right now. It's oh, fine. I'm, I'm playing Great play Keepers like... now. I'm just going to win the die roll and roll tribute his ass like I do everyone else. <laughs> It was so funny playing that box tournament, and they're like, Cody Roulette, uh, what did you play? I'm like, Gravekeepers. <laughs> you can just hear the fucking groan on everyone I beat. <laughs> they're like, ugh. I'm like, yeah, it's right. <laughs> Take it. Yeah, so do either of you guys have any more you want to add to the subject of Yu-Gi-Oh! Stonks? Nah, I think we just got like a couple of like mentions from last week's question oh yeah he hit me up what's what's going on yeah so last week we asked people what was your greatest gain or loss through a Yu-Gi-Oh um purchase or trade or whatever effect right uh i know chris i uh, don't know his last name to save my life chris right now Lillies, right? uh, i think so he mentioned Shut something up, about he he needed you to tell the story of his loss over okay, your I coffee, think I, I know what he's talking about, but like I'm, I'm pulling I, up the 
conversation. It was about the Phantasm, I believe. Yeah, no, I have the memory of a goldfish, first of all, so I'm not going to do this justice, and I can't say I know exactly the sequence of events. I know kind of what he's talking about. Okay, so if I remember correctly, uh, at a regionals, again, I like to apparently scum people at regionals. Who knew? Um, He had a Phantasm, and I think at this point, I had... To my name, one Phantasme, and at this point, it was $70-ish secret, maybe. Mm-hmm. But I knew this card was money, right? Again, it was a card I was investing into. I'm going to make profit off this. So I think Chris at the least had... Yeah, I think Chris had a, a Phantasme, and I was bugging him for it. I was being... I can get really fucking incessant and annoying, if you can't tell <laughs> yep. by listening to these podcasts at this point. I get real annoying. Um, I have zero social skills, but I can be annoying as fuck. So, I was bugging the hell out of Chris. I'm like, you should trade me your Phantasme. You should sell me your Phantasme. And then finally, throughout the day, I think I finally made him crack. I I bugged him enough, poked and prodded to the point where he kind of caved. And he started finally, like, agreeing to a number. I think it was, like, 50 bucks, maybe. You know what, Chris? Please correct me in the notes for this one. Let me know what I got wrong. Let's just say arbitrary number, 50 bucks. Uh, he wanted 60. I love doing this. I love using the guilt trip and trying to just, you know, make it fun. Make it fun for them because then they don't feel like they're taking as much of a loss. So you got to be a little charismatic. So I pull out of my pocket 50 bucks or whatever it was and like a toonie or something. It was like a toonie and a loonie. A toonie for you uncultured Americans is $2. Um, I pull out a toonie and a loonie and I'm like, you see this? This is my coffee for later. You are taking my coffee away. How dare you? <laughs> You're going to fuck me over for a coffee because you want more money? Here, take my fucking coffee money too. So then that's how I ended up being. I ended up being like maybe 43, 53. I don't remember what break point it was, but the point being it was a solid number plus my coffee change. Was I going to get a coffee? I don't know. Maybe. But the point being is now in his eyes, I'm not getting the coffee anymore. So fuck me, right? So that's how I ended up convincing him to take my coffee money and for me to get a Phantasme. Not only later that night, Matthew had a Phantasme and I told him you should just sell me your Phantasme for like 40 bucks. And I bought it off him too. So I went from one Phantasme plus like 80 bucks to three Phantasmes. And then uh, a week later, they were like 130 bucks each. So... Yeah, mm-hmm. about that. Anyways, yeah, that's you've, the Chris story. You've been I, through a lot of Phantasmes. Like, you've had my playset oh, before. Yeah, no, I'm on my third set of Secret Phantasmes because I they were, like, money for a while. Like, liquid. They were liquid assets that I could flip. And I was flipping Phantasmes for profit. <laughs> uh, not that that original set was acquired solely to profit off. Like, I didn't scum Chris and Matt to get money off of them. It was more so I just wanted my playset of Phantasmes. Yeah. Over the course of the next couple of months, I ended up flipping and reacquiring, and like Nikolai said, I literally just reacquired his Phantasmes over the last year or so. So I'm back mm-hmm. to a playset. Not playing them. Don't plan on. But it's a max already hand trap, so here we are. But they're, they're a hand trap. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know no, I got a yeah. comment from Matthew, our friend in uh, Moostraw there. Yeah, that's the guy who yeah. I got the other Phantasme off of. Yeah, yeah, no, he uh he mentioned he bought three Performer Pal sorcerers the day Breakers of Shadow came out. 
and he bought them for a hundred and forty apiece. Holy there shit. was yeah, there was an adjustment list that came out right before they arrived in the mail. <laughs> okay, so and his his is he, yeah. Go ahead. He was only able to play them in his deck for one event, ah. which he talked by the way. But then he ended up having to unload them all oh. for 40 each. See, like, his is yeah. a very dramatic, obvious fucking neg. Like, he's super in the red on that. But I know exactly what he's talking about because I did the same thing. Nikolai, you remember being upstairs at Galaxy. Me, you, and Mark basically split a case. We all just bought boxes and we had what was essentially a case sitting yeah. in front of us. And yeah. in classic Nikolai fashion, pulls the stone cold fucking nuts pulls like oh a, no no a, a, here's, so, here's... a solemn strike and a fucking infinity and a performer pal it was just like no. super ignorant and i pulled so the, fucking the best garbage. part about that the best part about that yeah you and mark both had five boxes and i only had two because i didn't spend a lot of money yeah. and i pulled like you said i pulled infinity i pulled two strikes and i pulled Two pendulum sorcerers. Yeah, like he pulled the nuts. I think Mark had bought the most. I think I only had like three or four boxes. But regardless, I pulled I think yeah. one hit secret in three boxes, and Nikolai pulled like five somehow in two. I don't fucking get it. Either way, <laughs> Nick pulls the stone cold nuts. I pulled garbage. Mark, I think he 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 breaks even. Mark only oh. got like one strike and one sorcerer. Yeah, but like he ended up breaking even just because that set yeah, was yeah. so so profitable assuming yeah. we don't have an emergency ban list we all go super hard on the set because not only set super value but we have a regionals coming up in a week and a half i at this time was already committed to head judging this regionals but again i'm a Yu-Gi-Oh scumbag that needs his shit now because i have zero patience i get all my shit right away Went through all that sealed product. I have my full pendulum deck, max rarity. Uh, I have all, everything for it. Emergency bandless hits, and we that that same thing that Matthew like we had the regionals in Winnipeg. I think he's the one that he topped in. Maybe I don't remember. Either way, we have the emergency bandless, Pensorks tank in value. I'm super in the red. And I can't even play in the one fucking regionals that they're <laughs> legal for. Nope. So, not, at least he got to play in an event. I couldn't even... Pl I was judging the only fucking event that I could have played in with my Performer Power Sorcerers. God, that felt bad. I will say playing Full Power Pepe in that regionals felt great. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably. I don't know if anyone else commented. No, that's the only one I got over here. How about you guys? What did you guys... What was your like greatest profit or loss? Um, see, I'm... I'm... really bad to ask that question for because I open a large amount of sealed product when I know I shouldn't and should just yeah. be investing in the singles. But holy fuck, am I so goddamn lucky. Um, what was it? I think I bought... Like, I think the most profitable thing that happened with me was I bought... What was it, Cody? Like, six of the 2020 20 tins? 
Yeah. Like around there. And I managed to open like four Dragoons. Yeah. Oh, that was ridiculous. It was like clockwork almost. <laughs> Every time we oh, would go yeah. to we would go to our storefront and he's like, Should I buy a tin? And at this point he's already pulled three fucking dragoons out of four tins. I'm like, No, you're oh, sure? there's Why no not? like the law like the universe works off numbers and the law of fucking odds says you are not gonna profit anymore. Stop it. Of course, Nikolai buys a fucking tin because her her pulls the fucking dragoons every time. And, mm-hmm. like, Dragoons was the only way you made your money back on those tins, and I don't understand how he pulled so many of those Dragoons. Well, even, like, with uh, Phantom Rage. Like, and not a very profitable set. And I think the only card that I didn't pull a full playset of, secret-wise, mind you, this is still out of half a case, was Alpha. And I still pulled two. I end up with like more than a playset of Torn Scale, and I end up with more than a playset of Zeus, which is crazy okay. to me. Oh, okay. So I, uh, I actually have two more uh, stories. They weren't in like comments or anything like that, but they were like brought to my attention via like Facebook Messenger. Yeah. Uh, an old friend of ours, Chunky. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, he oh he messages God. me. Yeah, he messages me last week, and all he does is show me a picture. Of a starlight Trishula. I'm like, no way. He's like, yeah, man. I was playing the pot lottery. I won. <laughs> I won. Classic. It's pretty much par- it's pretty yeah, much paraphrasing. I'm so paraphrasing cool. what he said, right? But like that that's pretty much what happened, right? He showed me he, he, he said he just like couldn't he was shaking when he when he saw the Trish and it was in a the Trish plus two other secrets in the box. And I'm like, you tell me you pull a pot in that box and I'll flip. He's like, nah, man, the secrets were crap. And I'm like, oh, thank God. But, like, nah, he pulled the Starlight Trish, and I was like, it's pretty profitable. Uh, the other one that came up was not through Messenger, but I was talking to, again, Rafi at the end of one of our locals. He mentioned his girlfriend came home with two of those 2020 Megatons. Yeah. And lo and behold, he pulls a goon in each of them. <laughs> right. Like, and one of the guys that Raf like Rafi had to play against when he started playing Yu-Gi-Oh. So in his words, I'm basically Sensei Nick now. So I think my luck is rubbing off on him. And that's why he's pulling double goons out of two tins. Yeah. No, so, that, that so happened, I got so. I got a quick story. This isn't even like profit, really. But uh Curtis just messaged me. I have to talk about this. Uh, <laughs> so, back at D-Rev format, Pot of Duality first came out, and this is like one of the first big signs of power creep in Yu-Gi-Oh. Pot of Duality was just the most fucking hype thing. It was a hype beast in Yu-Gi-Oh card form. Everyone was freaking out over this card. I obviously had a playset at this point, and uh, I had to shop them around uh, for non-Yu-Gi-Oh related reasons. I had to sell them. Uh, and I knew this guy, Kevin. Uh, not the best of acquaintances, but you know, friendly. Both played locals and stuff. I think I saw him on Facebook even. But uh, he played quite regularly back then. And he asks me to sell uh, the pot. The pots, the playset. Um, is that how it went? Either way, I think uh, 
We were going back and forth, either way. The idea was, you know, I sell pots, he gains a place at a pot of duality. And it started being like 100 each, which was about 80% value. Um, and he was kind of giving me the runaround, going back and forth, kind of, you know, teasing me a bit, being a little cocktees. He flakes on me. Next week, going back and forth again, nothing. The following week, he's like, okay, I'll buy those pod dualities off you for 100 each. I'm like, nah, it's unfortunate for you because the price went up. He's like, what? I'm like, they're 120 each now. He's like, are you fucking kidding me? And then he looks at our mutual friend, Mark. He's like, your friend's a scumbag. <laughs> I just laughed. And I'm like, yeah, 120 bucks each. And you know how much you bought them for? 120 bucks each. each. Yeah, that's what fucking happens. Price goes up. Inflation's a bitch. Yep. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of any like mad profit stories. Like I already talked a little bit about how I've profited off of random exchanges, but like oh. most of my stuff has been like just over time. Like I get a card yeah. and I I flip an archetype for a hundred bucks, and then I flip that into another archetype that ends up being two hundred, into another one for three hundred, and then it's just eventual profit. Like maybe the very most obvious profit I can say right now is. My Stardust Dragon, that I'm convinced is at least a PSA 8, if I got it graded, because it's, like, minty fresh. Uh, if that card is at least two grand with its condition, mm -hmm. uh, I acquired that because I traded a Dimensional Barrier. So, like, there's profit. Like, um, somebody needed a D-Barrier. I, yeah. I told him I wanted yeah. Stardust. Like, that's... Maybe that's my most profiting profit profit uh my misprint rainbow dragon chaos neos fusion misprint like whoever knows how much those are worth like at least a thousand bucks now uh i, I, I that just, up. what's that i was gonna say i think i just remembered my biggest profit and it wasn't even Yu-Gi-Oh. like it wasn't even Yu-Gi-Oh cards yeah um this is back when shadows first came out yeah uh there's this kid named hunter I have full Shadals built, like, full rarity, so like, it's fairly expensive of a deck. Um, I don't remember what ulti construct was at at that point, but... Um, so I'm done playing the deck, and there's this kid that really wants to play the deck. And, like, he wants to trade like he wants to trade me for the whole thing, and I, he doesn't really have anything I want. And then he pulls out a Spellground mat. Now, for those of you that don't know, Spellground's is like, old ass company that makes uh, cloth playmats they're used for like magic a lot more than Yu-Gi-Oh and having one of these things like back in the day was like you were the top shit if you had Spellground because they cost a lot of money mm -hmm. so he offers me his Spellground map for my deck and at this point like I didn't know which one it was so I kind of like went with it anyways because like you know what? I don't care. I get it. Uh, fast forward like another two years, I'm at a nationals and I'm just trying to offload a bunch of stuff, uh, just to, like make some money back from the trip and all that. And I go, you know what? I don't need this spellground mat anymore. I have enough. So I go to a vendor and hand them the mat. And I'm like, what can I get for this? I don't know what year it's from. The guy looks at it and he's like, oh, this is a 1994 Spellground. This thing's like, 
at the time, I think like six or seven hundred dollars, if not more. Profit. So, I was like, "Yeah, mm-hmm. no, please take the mat. I'm gonna take all that money." <laughs> like, I'm on eBay right now. Um, somebody's selling a 1994 Spellground for sixteen hundred dollars. So I kind of wish I held on to it, but at the same time, like. Again, making like seven hundred dollars off of a Shadal deck feels pretty good. Man, I want to spell ground mat again. <laughs> I still have one upstairs somewhere. Do we have a question? Uh I think question for the week. I think question for the week should be I have one in mind. Uh you know, by all means go for your we'll do your question. So I mean <clears throat> Next week we're going to do our bandless predictions, and there's always the obvious of like we could ask you what card do you think is going to get banned, and you're going to get obvious answers, right? So instead of asking what card do you think is going to get banned, what card do you think will get unbanned or have its limitations changed? Makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not fucking change of heart says Curtis um, <laughs> uh, you laugh but change of heart is like I don't know if I mean it maybe you said it I don't know I'd said it yeah that's, that's the kind of that's the game we're in now uh, yeah. yeah I guess that's a decent question uh, I, don't know, I, I always look at things from like the you know the uh the indirect perspective like what is going to benefit that's not very obvious so it's going to be interesting to mm-hmm. see you could very obviously say vfd gets banned but like you know what random stuff do you think could get hit that is just like that's just asking to get hit like i don't know they could do something just this is konami they set a precedence with doing stupid shit like red eyes fusion to one like damn it i guess so <laughs> yeah but we'll see we'll save that talk for next time yeah. mm-hmm. um so like jordan mentioned our episode seven topic is just going to be a balanced prediction uh i think what we're planning on doing is we're each gonna have our kind of projected boundless what we think Konami's going to do and we're also going to have each of us are going to have a kind of like wish list boundless of what we think should happen um, to make the game better not necessarily more profitable for Konami yeah yeah, yeah. sounds about right and yeah so if you want to answer our uh, weekly question you can just on Facebook Instagram Twitter WPGFTK so Winnipeg FTK again on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook get hit us up on any of those platforms give us a follow uh, if you follow us on any of those we'll when we post our podcast and I think with that uh, we're going to be good to go you guys can fill in the blanks for every time Nick legged out there you guys mm-hmm. can put it together. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so I guess that's pretty much it. I'm blaming like six other people on the internet. So, yeah. Yeah. This you do that. This uh, high quality <laughs> production. All right, boys. Bye, Britt.
Bye, Bye Brett. Brett.